Psalms 1, 1 through 3. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by the streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. Pray with me. Father God, you are so good, Lord. We love you. We love you for your word, God. We thank you, God, for everything that you're doing in us, Lord. Father, I pray, Lord, that we will be like this tree, Lord, that is firmly planted, God, bearing good fruit, Father God. Lord, I pray for the message, God. I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts, God, and that we will have ears to hear your word, Father. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing and what you're going to do in this place today, Father. In the name of your mighty son, Jesus Christ, I pray and I ask. Amen. Please be seated. Amen. I want to say thanks to Sochi for reading the scripture. And uh, thank you to everybody who's showing up to make uh, Sundays happen. We really Appreciate it from the kids' ministry, which is amazing. New City Kids is killing it and doing such a great job. If you've got kids in the kids' ministry, you should make some noise right there and give thanks to the folks who serve and make it happen. Uh, they do great all the way through all of our volunteers who uh, help out in different ways. Um, wouldn't it be great if life could be a lot more like Family Feud? Um, what I mean is this. Uh, every time, if you've watched this before, and it doesn't matter who the host is, um, it doesn't matter uh, whether it's that one guy or Steve Harvey. I don't remember the, the other guy's name, but um, it, it doesn't really matter who it is. Every time people say something, um, whatever their answer is, everyone in the family claps. You know what I mean? Everybody's pumped about it. It could be a, a horrible, awful, stupid answer. And just once, I would like someone to stop and say what all of us at home are thinking at that moment, which is, what are you talking about? What kind of answer is that? Our whole family is out here on national TV, and that's the best that you can come up with. A boy, name a boy's name beginning with the letter H, Jose. Are you serious? That's a real answer that came up on, on Family Feud. So, and the whole family just paused for a second and clapped as if there was any chance that it was going to score any points. I don't know. It would be great, though, if life were like that, but it's not the way that it is, right? Uh, as a matter of fact, some people like to think that way. They live somehow with the illusion that no matter what we do and no matter how we act, the universe is going to fall in line behind us and say, great job, <laughs> good choice. Unfortunately, life does not work like that. Some decisions, some actions, some habits are better than others and some are worse. Some paths will lead to ruin and some paths will lead to grace. And so that's why we're doing, uh, in, in part, why we're talking about the Psalms, because the Psalms are from this part of the Bible that's called the wisdom literature, okay? The wisdom literature. And so whether we're talking about the Song of Solomon or Proverbs or the Psalms or Job, these are all uh, part of those wisdom books that are in the Bible. And they're specifically designed, in a sense, to give us what, what I'm calling competency in the complexities of life. Competency in regard to the complexities of life. It's not just about choosing right from wrong. That's not wisdom. 
it's about choosing the best options when there is no clear right or wrong. Wouldn't that be great to have wisdom? If you believe that, say amen. It's okay. We could kind of talk back here. It's, it's okay. I know that some of you guys, we have new folks sometimes who are always coming in here to New City Church, and we're, we're, very, we're, you know, we're, we're very good with you talking back. As a matter of fact, if you, I, I, I worked in youth ministry for decades, and there were many, many times in a youth service where a kid would just start talking to me. I don't understand what you're saying. And, and we would, like, have a brief moment-to-moment -moment conversation in front of hundreds of kids, and I would say, uh, but let's follow up after church. <laughs> let's follow up after service, you and me, and we can talk about it. So really, I won't be thrown off if you say amen to something that applies to you. Wisdom isn't just about right and wrong. Wisdom is about choosing the best option when there is no clear right and wrong. Jesus said this. He said, wisdom is proved by her children. What an interesting way of saying it. He said, also, we would know a tree by its fruit. You've heard the saying that the proof is in the pudding. That one Jesus didn't say because there's no reason to bring pudding into this, and I don't totally understand that last one. But I think it relates in the same way. I think I get the same idea from context. What we're talking about is that wisdom over time has a way of being recognized and validated, vindicated really, um, over, over the course of time. Now, when the Psalms were arranged, I want, you to note, I want you to note this today, since this is, our, I think, our third week in the Psalms. When they were arranged, they were actually placed in a certain order. And Psalm 1 was put at the front. It's like the front door to the Psalms. When we are talking about worship, the very beginning of the Psalm of the book, the hymn book of the church, relates to wisdom. Isn't that interesting? The first step into this hymn book is actually about Wisdom serves as the door to the rest of the Psalms. It's like saying wisdom and worship walk hand in hand. And if I want to learn worship, I have to learn to be wise. And if I want to be wise, I have to learn to worship. So I want to tell you today uh, a few things, a few, a few points from our text that Sochi read just a few minutes ago. When it talks about blessed is he, happy is he who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, seat, sit in the seat of the mocker, nor, nor, uh, or, or uh, stand in the way of the sinner, nor sit in the seat of the mocker. Blessed is he. He'll be like a, a tree planted by streams of water in its fruit. It's going to bear its season. He goes through all this. The psalmist is saying this wise person is going to be showing what a worshiping life really looks like, and that is a flourishing life. So I want to give you three simple points today to talk about wisdom as it applies to you and me. I want to talk about it as, it, as, as we can draw from our text today and help us to understand why it's so important and why worship and wisdom really walk hand in hand. The first one is this. Wisdom is a walk. Wisdom is a walk. Now, if we look at our text, it actually shows us a progression of foolishness, right? And it starts out with this, the person who... who walks with the, uh, with, with the counsel of, in the counsel of the wicked. So he's listening. He or she is listening to the counsel of the wicked. And then it says, stand in the way or in the path of sinners. So there's like, instead of just walking, now they're standing. And now sitting in the seat of the mocker. It's almost like we were moving along pretty well here, but there's a progression to this that goes from just listening to, to now standing with and hanging out with to actually making a home and making my place. In the same way that there's a progression to that foolishness, there is a development 
to wisdom in our lives. It's not an overnight process. It's a walk. It's not a leap, right? I picked this up. uh, A lot of my illustrations come from the news because I have a bad habit of reading too many news stories. And so when I find one that is interesting, I'll usually kind of file it away. But this one I found some years ago, and it it has to be one of my favorites. It comes from, it's Um, It's an AP story, so the Associated Press reported on this, and it took place in Somerville, Georgia. And here it is. I'm reading most of the actual article that I read. It says, more than 1,000 turtles made an escape from their turtle farm in northwest Georgia. Turtle farmer David Driver tells sheriff's officials he suspects vandals might be to blame for tearing down fences around his turtle ponds in Somerville. Authorities say that allowed the turtles, including snappers, eastern paints, and yellow-bellied sliders, to leave the farm and make a beeline to nearby ponds and creeks. About 1,600 of the 2,200 turtles escaped. Sheriff's officials are continuing to search for the turtles. (laughs) So first of all, this is news in Georgia. That's the one thing. But second of all, I'd like you to see the picture that we have here. It's a little bit like us uh, because it, it really, really talks about how wisdom is a process. I just love the thought of vandals opening up the gates and then those turtles, one smart turtle, seeing the, the gate open and saying, guys, yo, God, the gates are open. Let's make a break for it. Let's go. And this slow motion move toward freedom is the perfect picture for the way a lot of us are, right? So many times, it's a slow motion move. It's a walk to grow up in wisdom. It's a walk to learn how to live and to walk free. We say here at New City Church that we've got a journey that we want to walk with you on. And it goes like this. We start with knowing God, and the second step is finding freedom discovering purpose, and then making a difference. Once I know God, I have an ability to walk free and to live. I have access now to a wisdom that, to which I didn't have access before. But I will tell you honestly, it is a slow motion march toward freedom for us because we have to relearn, perhaps even unlearn a few things that we have previously known in our lives. It's possible to be forgiven, but still not be free. It's possible to know God, but not to live in the freedom from your old way of life. So there is a process here to this. You can be forgiven, but you could still not know your purpose. You can still not be making a difference in the way that God has designed you to make a difference. So just to be clear here today, we don't stop with knowing God. However slow the march is for us, we have to keep moving toward freedom and toward purpose and toward making a difference in the way that God has designed us to make a difference. There, are, uh, there were like a dozen people in Doug and Caitlin Amundsen's Financial Peace University small group this past week that met. And it was just such a cool thing because as I'm looking at these people, they're all now kind of signed up for this program where they learn how to manage their finances. And the blessings that God gives, learn how to be a good steward of that. And many of them, I don't know how many are, you know, every, everybody, you know, kind of in there, most everybody who was in the, in the group is carrying some kind of consumer debt. 
Certainly some kind of mortgage debt represented there. And so when you look through all of it, you just see this, this weight that's hanging over people. And it's exciting for me to see that over the course of time, Doug and Caitlin themselves, after one year of time, have cleared themselves of $32,000 of school and consumer debt. And they are marching toward being debt-free at the end of this year. Isn't that amazing? Now, you guys are like, well, what does that have to do? It really has a lot to do with everything. It has to do with me learning how to be a good steward, not just of the money that God has given me, but of the gifts that God has given me, of the time that God has given me. It's what wisdom is really made of, and it's what bears fruit in our lives. There are three ways the Bible says that I can get wisdom. You might want to mark these down. First of all, and in a really great way, it says, I can pray for wisdom, and God will give it to me. That's a nice one. Solomon asked for wisdom, and God gave him wisdom and then riches on top of that, right? James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So that's a great way. I'll bet you didn't even know that it could be so simple. God will give you wisdom if you ask for it. That's one of the ways that he says. So I have to ask you for just a moment today, have you asked God for wisdom? Have you stopped and sincerely with, with, with all of your heart said, God, I desire wisdom from you. Can you give it to me? One of the things that I feel like God has really checked me on recently is I feel like God has said to me, Steve, worrying about something is not the same thing as praying about something. <laughs> Right? A lot of times we think that. It's on my mind. I'm thinking about it all the time. That is not the same thing as praying about it. Actually asking God is what I would challenge you to do, to say, God, I need wisdom. And when you articulate that prayer and when that becomes a part of your asking of God, you will find yourself tuned in almost, kind of like your frequency will change to where you are tuned in to receive from God. So you can ask him and he will give it to you. Secondly, I can make mistakes and learn from them, right? I mean, there's the second part is really important. You guys are like, I got the mistakes part down. <laughs> it's the learning from them that really matters. But Psalm 119.71 says, it is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your laws. So the psalmist here is talking about it. He says, I was afflicted, and because of my suffering, because of my mistake, I was afflicted, and I learned your laws, okay? So we can make mistakes, from the cost of our mis- we can we can make mistakes and we can learn from the cost of those. Raise your hand if you've made a mistake in here. Great. So we're all on the same page with this that it's possible for us to gain wisdom that way. Thirdly, I can walk with wise people. So I can ask God, I can make mistakes or I can walk with wise people. It means that if I surround myself with wise people, it's going to rub off on me. I'm going to start being wiser simply because I'm close enough to them to see how they live, act, speak, and order their lives. Proverbs 13.20 says, he who walks with the wise will be wise. There it is. But it also says, the companion of fools will suffer harm. Now, when I was growing up, I had a group of really dumb friends, and I was the chief idiot, I think, all right? We would play a game, this is no lie, we would play a game in our boredom around the neighborhood and there were construction sites, there were, you know, houses being built around where we were and we would play a game that we called rock tag. 
And it was exactly as it sounded, where you would throw rocks at each other to try to, if you were it, you would throw rocks at it. So you would find out, you would ask, who's it right now? And you would say, oh, it's Mike. How do you know? Because he's bleeding from that head wound, okay? <laughs> he got hit by, we would literally throw rocks at each other, you're it, tag, and you're bleeding, okay? Now, this is a great example. I was probably the kid that parents were like, don't hang out with him. But kids never understand this. You parents, you aren't just concerned about what your kids are doing. You're also concerned about what their friends are doing, right? And that's wise. If you're a young person in the house today, just recognize this. You don't have to be a fool to suffer harm. It says the companion of fools suffers harm. That means that you might just be what's called collateral damage if you're around a fool too much, okay? That means that you might get dragged into something, or you might say, I don't do it, I don't do it. Listen, I don't drink whatever else, I don't do this, and, but if your friends are drinking and driving and you're in the car with them, you might be collateral damage. So that's why parents are really interested not just in what their own kids are doing, but what their friends are doing. Because the Bible says, whoever walks with the wise will be wise, but the companion of fools suffers harm. Who have you allowed in your inner circle? I mean, we started New City Groups this week, had a great launch to different groups. It's still, there's still time for you to sign up, even for Financial Peace University. The next meeting isn't even for two weeks uh, because there's, we're taking a week off at the beginning of that 10-week series. And so there's still time for you. If you haven't yet figured out how to, if you find yourself over and over again in debt, if you find yourself over, let, let me just tell you, learn a new way of wisely managing your finances. You might find that you are a person who over and over ends up in crisis in relationships. Learn a new way of wisely managing your relationships. Join, find somebody. Join a small group. Get to know a wise person and just saddle up next to them and say, let me know about how you do things. Let me ask you questions. Let me pay attention and listen. Actually find your counsel. How many times over the years as a pastor has somebody come to me and said, can you give me counsel on how to do this? And I say, I tell them what I think they should do, and they say, oh, well, that's not easy. And then they go and they do it their way. And I'm over here saying, but I'm telling you the wise way to do it. I'm telling you the way that you should do it. And then they're surprised when it doesn't work out for them. Listen, wisdom is a walk. One step in front of the other, learning how to obey God. Secondly, wisdom is a want the psalmist says that the wise man delights in God's law. He meditates on it day and night. The picture there is of somebody who is desiring after God's ways and God's law. Somebody who, who is so intentional about it that they will actually carve out time and create time to reflect on what God's law says. Let me just tell you today, our desires will determine our destiny. You could say it like this, my loves will determine the lane that I'm in, <laughs> okay? And it's just like this, we could all be driving, we could all get out of church here today, and we could go out, and we could get on the highway, and we could be headed east, and there would be some different lanes, and everybody would be driving next to each other, but some people would have a sign above them that says 290 east to Chicago, some people would have a sign above them that says 294 east north to Wisconsin, 290 west to Rockford. We could all be driving next to each other for a long time, but eventually we're going to end up moving in different directions depending on the lane that we are in. 
Because eventually those lanes are going to diverge from one another. And my loves will ultimately determine the lane that I am in. We could be waving at each other on the highway. Oh, isn't it great? The people who are going to, to Rockford, who knows why anybody would want to go out there. People who are going to Rockford could be waving at other. But in the end, we're not going to be together. Our loves will determine our lane and our desires will ultimately determine our destiny. St. Augustine, in his memoirs called his confessions, he called them confessions, he said if you look underneath all of the bad decisions, all of the selfish choices, all of the hurtful actions of human beings, the real root of our dysfunction, he says, is that our loves are out of order. Not just that we love the wrong things, though that's a problem, but that also we love the right things in the wrong order. Okay? And he said it like this, disordered loves, I, I actually, I don't know if this is what he said, this, this is the way I'd say, disordered loves lead to disordered lives. Disordered loves lead to disordered lives. The Sunday worship experience like this, this is the way that we tune things up, that we are reminded of the order that our desires and our loves are supposed to be in. I have a mentor who said to me for years, just like this, he would say, enjoy your God, enjoy your family, and enjoy your ministry in that order. So enjoy your God, enjoy your family, and enjoy your work, all in that order. And, and it is hard to, and it's hard to actually sometimes do that because some of us think we want to put our, our work or our family as God. And so we want to put ourselves sometimes and say, you know what, I'll give God, you know, this much of my time, this much of my resource, this much of my time, whatever it is, because he's, but this worship experience is you and me tuning our hearts up and saying, you know what, God deserves to be first. Because if I get that out of order, if I put things out of order and I put my work in, in front of my family or my God behind my work, whatever it is, if I put those things out of order, my life is going to be disordered. When you come to God, the good news is that you have an assistant almost, an advocate is what the Bible calls him, who is working now. When I have been forgiven in Christ, the Bible says that I have the Holy Spirit in me. He is an advocate who's working to produce in me the right desires. That's, that's the difference. Before I know Christ, I don't have that working in my life. But once I come to Jesus, I have the Holy Spirit who's working in me to produce the good desires that I need to be able to gravitate toward wisdom, to awaken. A con Let me just tell you what happened to me when I came. To, I was I was a I would I didn't think twice about the stuff that I did before I came to Christ. The minute that my life, that I surrendered my life to Jesus, as soon as I would hang out with my friends again, I, and, and I would, you know, drop that swear word, that F-bomb, that whatever else, I, I, would, I would actually feel this tinge inside of me of, what are you doing? The minute we would talk trash about somebody else, and, and with, with all this, this wonderful, you know, gifting of being able to speak in front of people and confidence to do that, let me just tell you, it, goes, it cuts both ways. I could cut people down even when I was, even back then. And I would start to do that, and then all of a sudden I would feel this tinge of guilt, this, this something would speak to me. What are you doing? It was like my conscience had come awake. It come alive and was now speaking to me. That You know, the only thing that will resurrect a conscience is the Holy Spirit. Here's the thing. We have an advocate. We have a helper in this. But we also have to participate. 
in nurturing the right desires. I'll just say it like this. Feed the right desires, starve the wrong ones. That's a simple how-to with this thing. Feed the right desires, starve the wrong ones. Philippians 4, 8 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I think it's like what Paul is saying is you control in some ways what you are reflecting on, what you are taking in, your intake, what you are nurturing in your life is a part of what we can manage and control. So begin with your mind. You might need to listen. Some of you here, you might need to listen to worship music or sermons instead of some of the other stuff that you listen to all the time. Turn off the MSNBC or the Fox News or whatever, you know, whatever, you know, outlet that you listen to, whatever music that you're listening to. You might need, just need to say, I need to go on a fast and I just really need to hear God's word all the time because your intake is off. You might need to turn off the TV or unfollow that person or disable your social media for a little while or permanently if you so dare. You have the power, though, to tip the scales in your heart toward a desire for God. Some of you might say, I don't even know if I have the want to to do that. Well, maybe not, but you might have the want to want to. And I'm guessing that if you're here in the first place, unless somebody absolutely dragged you here, you probably have the want to want to want to. (laughs) So just start with whatever you got. Because you have an advocate, you have a helper in this. Find ways to nurture those right desires in you. Being near people who desire the right things. Taking care of that intake. Being careful about, about your life. And you will find that those, that want to is going to develop and desire in you. Wisdom is a want to. Wisdom is a walk. And thirdly and lastly, wisdom is a win. The psalmist says the wise man, the wise woman will flourish like a tree planted next to a stream. It doesn't say that they'll be like a cloud floating on the gentle breeze, right? That's not the way Bible sees, the Bible sees God's people. Instead, it says we're rooted in the dirt, in the measured space of the real world, firmly planted in the earthiness of family, work, play, finances, and then growing and then aging bodies. That's where wisdom is lived out. It's in this soil that the Bible says you and I are supposed to flourish. Right? Some of you are looking for a different soil, but that's not what the Bible says. It says you've got a soil that God has planted you in right now. We can't change our historical moment. We can't change our family history. We can't change so much about our lives. It's simply the soil in which we have been planted, but in that soil God says you can flourish. The Psalms were written in a part of the world where rain was infrequent. And trees, wasn't uncommon for those trees to wither or die during drought or dry seasons. The psalmist says the one who delights in God's law, he is like a tree that has roots with access to nourishment Nourishment that doesn't depend on today's weather. Nourishment that doesn't depend on today's circumstances. Think of Jesus when he told his disciples, I have food that you know not about. And they all looked at each other. And they were like, did he brown bag it today? What happened? How, how does he have food? What is he talking about? Well, what Jesus is saying is, I'm, I am the one who has my roots 
to a source that you can't even see. When the drought season is on, the wise person, everybody looks at them and says, expects that they're going to wither up and die. But if they've got that rhythm of worship and wisdom in their lives, it gives them access to a source that never runs out. And they can be like that tree planted by a stream of water that gives its fruit in season. It doesn't say every season, just in the right season. Right? The psalmist says, in whatever they do, they prosper. Not whatever they do prospers. So some of you need to hear that today. Just because you had a failure doesn't mean that you weren't wise. It just means that even in failure, in whatever you do, even in failure, you can still fail forward. You can still prosper. In success and in failure, your soul can prosper. And it says that in that season, it will bear its fruit. Remember, if you don't see the fruit of your wisdom in this season, just hang on. Keep being wise. It might just be the season. <laughs> but there is a season coming when you will bear fruit. Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time we shall reap a harvest if we don't grow weary. And some of you, that was worth the price of admission today for you. Just to hear that. That if you will continue to honor God, if you will continue to live wisely and with a worshiping life, that there will be a season where fruit will come if you don't grow weary. So wisdom is a win, but it's not just a win for you. It's not just a win for the wise man or the wise woman. It's a win for everybody around them. See, the image of the tree planted by that river is not unique to Psalm 1. There's a few parts in the Bible. As a matter of fact, the whole Bible begins with a tree by a river and ends with a tree by a river. Look at what it says. Most of you know about the first one, right, with the tree and the garden and everything went haywire after that. But most of you don't know about this one, Revelation 22. John says this, He showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of its street. And on either side of the river was a tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. I, I am confident that the psalmist had this picture in mind of that garden where God had planted the tree and the fruit was life-giving. I am confident because I really believe that when God sets things right with you and me, when God sets things in order in our lives and gets us tuned up to live a worshiping life, we become like a tree whose fruit isn't just for our own benefit, but means blessing for others. That's what the, that's what the Re what Revelation says. It says that the, that the leaves, the fruit of that tree were for the healing of the nations. Wisdom is a win because the fruit of, of wisdom means healing for the nations, for cities, for neighborhoods, for families. Doesn't that excite your imagination to think about if God's people live in his wisdom, that our heart's desire would be after God's wise ways at work in our lives, that our lives now become a source of healing for communities, for families, for homes, and for nations. How amazing is it that God could use you for that? The earliest preaching of the apostles talked about this. They would refer to tree, a tree as well. They would say it like this. They would say, this Jesus whom you crucified on a tree, 
God raised him up from the dead. Now, was it that they didn't understand how to say, there was a specific word for cross. They knew what they were saying. I really think that there was this idea that somehow with what Jesus did for you, and if you don't know that story, Jesus was the one wise, innocent man who lived a life as a human being that you and I should be living. But he died the death of a criminal and paid the price of our punishment so that you and I might have a shot at being forgiven and being free and being wise. We have access to this because Jesus went to the tree. Jesus transformed that cross to be a tree of life, that symbol of death to be a symbol of life. He died the death that we should have died so that we could be alive to God. Matter of fact, Paul calls Jesus, he says it like this, he addresses him as Christ, the wisdom of God. He says it's all summed up in Jesus. So let me close here today by saying this very plainly. We can talk about God's wisdom, but we can't have God's wisdom if we don't have Jesus. He is the wisdom of God. We can't have wisdom to live in the way that God has designed us to live if we don't start with this, receiving Jesus into our lives, the forgiveness that he would offer us, the fresh start, the new life, and the Holy Spirit, the presence of God in us that would help us to incline toward God's ways, to lean into God's ways. We can't have that if we don't have Jesus. So let me do this today. As we close here, I'm going to invite everyone in the house just to bow your heads for a moment. And let me just ask very plainly if there would be anyone in the house today who you'd say, I need that forgiveness. I need things to be right with my Heavenly Father. The Bible says really plainly, it's very easy for you and I. Jesus has done all the work and all you and I have to do is receive that gift of forgiveness and grace. If you're here today and you say, I need to receive that gift, I'm going to pray for you in just one moment. But I want you to signal to me that you want to receive that just by raising your hand right where you are right now. And I'm just going to pray for you. Amen. One. Two. Is there anybody else? Three. I'm just going to count you out. You can hold your hand up. I see three hands so far. Is there anybody else? Four. Five. Praise the Lord. Is there anybody else? Six. Thank the Lord. Seven. Eight. Thank the Lord. Nine. God bless you, sir. I'm going to wait for one more second. And if you rate, just keep your hand up wherever you are, and we're going to pray together. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of your son. We all come today as people in desperate need of grace. But, Lord, we look to a source that is abundant today. There is no lacking. There is no sin too great. There is no life too off kilter, too far from you, Lord, that you aren't able to forgive and cleanse and renew. So I thank you for all of these folks who raised their hands today, God. I praise you today. There's a party going on in heaven because your word says that whenever one sinner repents, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels. So, Lord, thank you today as they receive this gift from you that you have promised them eternal life that you have promised them your Holy Spirit to walk with them. And God, you are going to grant that they would grow into this grace and into this wisdom of God. 
I thank you, Lord. This is the first of so many more steps. Lord, I thank you that in this moment, you are transforming their hearts. And God, if there has been a guilt or a stain on their soul, thank you, Lord, that the blood of Jesus is enough to wash it clean. Make them new as we pray right now. And God, continue to help us walk in the wisdom of God, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Can we rejoice with these nine folks? Thank God.